Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter number 42 this evening. Isaiah chapter number 42. I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 43. You got there to 42, you were close enough, I guess. Isaiah chapter 43, we are midway through chapter number 43. Uh, here is a message here that there is no other Savior but the Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds them and gives them great hope. He reminds them to fear not, and then he gives them after that promise, uh, or after that, that command, he gives them the promises, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine, thou art mine. Later he tells them again to fear not. He talks about how he is going to gather them together, how he is going to bring them together. He gives his credentials. He said there in verse number 11, I, even I, am the Lord and beside me there is no Savior. What a significant verse. I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me, the Lord Jehovah, there is no Savior. Of course, inquiring minds say, wait, what about Jesus? Well, yeah, Jesus is the Savior. He, we are told that He is the Savior in the New Testament. And He is God. He must be, because there is no other Savior. Then we look now at verse number 14. Verse number 14 is where we're going to start this evening, and I want to try to get to the end of the chapter, so I'm going to cut my review a little short tonight, and uh, you just have to uh, hold on to your bonnets because we're going to move along here. Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 14, it says this, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer. Again, we see names. He's giving himself, you know, referring to himself a lot here in verse 14, and, and he does it again in verse number 15. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. Notice his names here. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinct, they are quenched as tau. We go back to verse number 14. After he's given his names, he says this, For, I, for, for your sake I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles. Again, what are we talking about here? The well, Israel rebelled. Israel was doing wrong. God caused Babylon to succeed and to uh, become a very powerful nation. He used Isaiah to prophesy that Babylon would come along and destroy Israel. But he prophesied this long before Babylon ever became a powerful nation. Well, they did. Of course, Isaiah prophesied it because God foretold it to him. And Isaiah foretold it to Israel. They did become a, a great nation, a powerful nation. They came and they attacked and destroyed Israel. Uh, well, uh, Judah here, I should say. Israel had already been attacked and destroyed by Assyria. But then we read earlier in Isaiah, God prophesying against Babylon, saying, <coughs> I'm going to attack Babylon too. Just because I'm using an evil, wicked, heathen nation to come and judge and discipline my people does not mean that I'm not going to hold them accountable for their own wrongdoing because I will. And 
So he points that out here in verse number 14. For your sake, I have sent to Babylon and have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans. These are leaders there whose cry is in the ships. Of course, we look beyond ancient Babylon and we look into the future as well. We look towards end times where God promises to bring down the enemies of Israel. While at times it may seem like they prosper, and at times it may seem like they have a large portion of the world behind them, we saw in our study in Revelation how those people are going to fall one by one in, in great numbers. The enemies of Israel, they're going to break against the rock that is Jehovah and that is his people Israel one day in the future. And he speaks to this. That's why he says, in the previous verse, ye are my witnesses. You've seen what great and wonderful and mighty things I've been able to do for Israel. And I will do that for you again here. As you, be, as you get released from your captivity and return to Israel, and I will do it again one day down the road. Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea. What's he talking about here? Which maketh a way in the sea. Remember, he says, You're, you, you are looking forward to a Babylon that has not arisen yet. I told you about that, that it was going to happen, and it happened. Now I'm telling you that Babylon is going to be judged. You're going to be released and allowed to go back home to Israel one day. And I'm going to judge Babylon and bring them down. And how do you know that I'm going to do what it is I've said I'm going to do? Because Think back to the Red Sea. He says, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea. When he parted the Red Sea so Israel could cross and escape the Egyptian armies, he proves his power to them. Israel brings up this, these powerful images of the parting of the Red Sea. Also here, when he talks about the chariot and the horse and the army and the power, he says, They shall lie down together. They're all going to be brought down. They're going to be destroyed. Who's going to lie down together? The armies of Babylon are going to lie down in death beside the armies of Egypt. God brought down these powerful enemies who had you up against a, a sea, and God will bring down this other powerful enemy. This teaches us a couple things. First, it teaches us that we can always justify trusting God right now by remembering the great things that He has done. Great things He hath taught us, great things He hath done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. Great things He hath done. So we can, we can trust God now based upon what we've seen Him do in the past. You see... <coughs> There's a precedent here that Isaiah is setting through the inspiration of God. You need to remember back, hearken back to some things that have occurred in the past and see what God has done. See how God worked in your life. See how God brought a person into your life at the right time to lead you to the Lord, to hand you a tract when you were prepared, when you were ready. See how God led you to the church at the time when you'd be ready to receive the message that was there. See how God opened your eyes at a specific time. And when you were ready, when your heart was prepared, and you were there, and it almost seemed like 
such a coincidence, or as some may call it, fate, but we would call it providence. God having a hand in the affairs of man. We can always justify trusting God right now by remembering the great things that he has done. But this also teaches us something else. You never want to oppose God or his people. It does not matter the size of the enemy. God is always bigger still. Here he refers to himself as the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. So many titles, glorious titles here that God uses for himself. Why? Because they're supposed to be a comfort to Israel. When we again, we stop and we think about the names of God and the names of Jesus Christ, it's meant to be a comfort to us. It's meant to help us to recognize His power and help us to recognize His love and help us to recognize His overwhelming knowledge and to help us to recognize His providence and to help us to recognize His arms that surround us and protect us and withhold us from harm. These names which we see concerning God and Jesus Christ, they were meant to be a, a, a comfort to Israel, and so they are to us too. However, look at verse number 18. He may seem to contradict himself here. He says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall ye not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me and dragons, the dragons and the owls. Behold, or because I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. Now he starts off this section here with, Remember ye not the former things. Again, Isaiah is writing prophetically to Israel here. Israel was mired in some pretty desperate circumstances. They were in captivity. They were in exile. Their homes had been burned and, and left desolate. Their fields, you know, unharvested and unplanted. They have been taken from their families, and many of them had no idea who of their families may still be alive or where they may be or will they ever see them again. Desperate circumstances. So where does God want us to turn his eyes? Well, in these verses, he tells us to turn his eyes to the next work he will do. So he begins with a reminder here to not remember the former things, to not be stuck in the failure and sin and discouragement of the past, to let go of that discouragement, to let go of that failure, and to look to what God is going to accomplish next. However, it's fascinating. And it's instructive. We look at verse 16 here. Back in verse number 16, Thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea, and uh, a path in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. Here he's saying, remember the things of the past. And then in <clears throat> verse number 18, he's told, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. It almost seems contradictory. Hey, remember what I've done in the past? Hey, don't think about the things of the past. You know, that could get a kid confused if you start saying stuff like that, right? It's interesting here how 
there's a sense in which we must remember the past in terms of God's great works on our behalf, the great things that God has done for us. But there's also a sense here that we need to forsake and forget the past with its discouragement and its defeat and move on to what God has for us in the future. If we were to boil it down, what he's really trying to say is this. I need you to keep focused on what, you, what, what I can do through you in the future. I need you to focus on what the next step in your spiritual walk is. And you know what's going to help you in your next step of your spiritual walk? It's going to be remembering how I've helped you in the past. It's going to be remembering my great power and providence in the past. But it's also going to be in forgetting your faults and your failures and your disappointments and your discouragements of the past. You see, there are some things that you need to recall. God's love and his power. And there are some things that you need to forget. Your discouragement, the failures of the past, and not get stuck. I mean, yeah, you can learn from the failures of the past, absolutely. And we ought to. We can learn from those things which discouraged us in the past, absolutely, but we can't get mired there and stuck there. Israel did far too often get mired and stuck there. But he also points this out <clears throat> there in verse number 17. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number 18. Remember ye not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall bring, spring forth. He says, I will do a new thing. You know, staying stuck in the past can keep us from the new thing that God wants us to be doing. Being stuck in discouragement or being stuck in, in the seduction of Babylon or the seduction of Canaan, the seduction of world and society, that can keep us mired and stuck from being able to accomplish the new thing that God has set out for us tomorrow. But the new thing can also become an idol. Like in Acts 17.21, in Athens, where they spent their time and nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. They always wanted some new thing. Always wanting to be on the cutting edge of learning, on the cutting edge of philosophy. And some churches can be in that desire too. Wanting to be on the cutting edge of technology on the cutting edge of, of new ways or new methods, and not that you know technology or methods or ways or new things are bad, but newness can be an idol in and of itself. But we can also err on the other side and work against a new work that God wants to do. Let's not find ourselves in either of those places, desiring the change or the new simply because of the newness of it always looking, never satisfied with the truth, with the good old truth of God's Word, with the gospel as it is and has always been. Nor should we be stuck in the old, never willing to see how the Lord can work in us tomorrow. Well, I've done that in the past. Well, this is what I've been. Well, this is what we've done. Well, this is my experience, and now it's time for somebody else to step in and do something. Maybe the Lord wants to use you in something new. He says, shall ye not know it? In other words, are you going to be staying in step with my spirit so much so that you recognize when I begin to lead to these new things, 
When he leads into something new, he's going to say this, basically, can't you recognize when it's me, the Holy Spirit that is leading? We continue on. He says, I will even make a way in the wilderness. What's he talking about here? He says, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beast of the field shall honor me and the dragons and the owls because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. The people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth my praise. He says, I will make a way in the wilderness, talking about rivers in the desert and the beasts of the field, obeying and honoring him. What's he talking about? Israel is going to have a long journey one day whenever they are able to leave Babylon and the far-flung territories to which they have been forcibly migrated to. They're going to have a long trek. And of course, when you read in Nehemiah and some of the other prophets, you begin to read about how they gathered and organized themselves and marched themselves from Babylon down to Israel. There's even one instance, um, I don't remember if it was Ezra or Nehemiah, where they were offered troops. The king says that you can take troops with you to march with you and protect you on your, on your way. And the prophet said, no, thank you. God will take care of us. Hey, that right there, that is the you know, short-term fulfillment of this verse. He says, I am going to make roads in the desert, rivers in the desert. Man, that's, that's, you know, wilderness is the opposite of roads. Wilderness is the opposite of civilization, of orderliness. Wilderness is difficult to navigate. There's a reason it's wilderness. There's a reason there's no one there. Whether we're talking about mountainous wilderness, which is hard to traverse, desert wilderness, which is difficult because of heat and a lack of water, a lack of shelter. What, no matter what the wilderness may be, there's not roads there for sure. But he says, I will make a way in that wilderness. I will put rivers out there in the midst of desert. There's another oxymoron, a river in the middle of a desert. I'll do it. I'm going to, in other words, I'm going to make sure that I get my people where they need to be in my will. And so I will put streams in the desert. And so I will put roads in the wilderness. And so I will cause the beasts out there, the mighty lions, the other animals, to not harm you as you pass through. He says, these are my chosen people. This people have I formed for myself. They shall show forth praise. Good verses there. They shall show forth my praise. This is part of fulfilling the purpose that God created us for. Remember back in verse number 7, he said, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory, I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Why did I create man? Why did God create man? For my glory. When we declare our praise, when we show forth our praise here for God, we're giving Him the glory. And I like this, this term, showing forth or declaring. What does that term mean? It means it is out loud. It is making it known. If I want to make something known in this day and age, there's a lot of ways that I can go about it. Standing on a street corner and hollering it is one of those ways not necessarily a good way to accomplish it, though. If I want to make something known to a lot of people, hey, social media is certainly the way to go these days. If I want to make something known, there's a place I can go. If I want to make something known to you, 
I want to come here and I'm going to speak it from the pulpit. I'm going to lift up my voice. If I want to make something known to my family, then I'm going to lift up my voice and say it. They shall show forth my praise when, when I bring them back. Then they shall show forth my praise. This passage is, is looking at Israel's deliverance from Babylon, but it's more than that. It also has in mind our ultimate deliverance by the Messiah. Should we also show forth God's praise? Show it forth so that it is, it is obvious, it is seen, it is on the tips of our tongues, it is in our actions, it's in our conversation, it's in everything about us. We show forth His praise. Look at verse number 22. But thou hast not called upon me. When I read these verses, I always read it with a note of disappointment. God is making these, these promises. God is opening up His arms and saying, here are the many, many manifold blessings that I have offered for you. Here they are. But you're not going to take them. You're not going to avail yourself of them. You're going to miss out on these blessings. And, and can I just park on that for a second with us? How many manifold blessings does God hold out in His hands to you? If you obey, if you're faithful, if you read your word, if you walk with me, if you walk in the Spirit, if you give, if you're charitable, if you do what I've asked, if you walk in obedience, here are blessings. Because God blesses obedience. And how many of those blessings have we left and walked away? Because we would not. We would not live in obedience. Maybe we would live in partial obedience. But you know what we tell our kids? Partial obedience is whole disobedience. If you only partly obey mommy and daddy, that's the same as disobeying mommy and daddy. We may have said, I need you to go upstairs and uh, change in your PJs, go to the restroom, wash your hands, and get in your bed. Okay, that was like four things. That's a lot of things to remember, right? Well, they know what go get ready for bed means. It means those four things. If you skip the going to the bathroom and washing your hands part, get your PJs on, be getting in bed, have you obeyed? No. You've disobeyed because you've only done some of what you were told to do. Well, we're good about, uh, you know, I'm only going to wear these things and I'm only going to use these words and, and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. But when it comes to well, tithing uh, now, or, or when it comes to church attendance, eh, I'll be, you know, when it comes to soul winning, eh, yeah, it's a give or take. I can, you know, take it or leave it. When it comes to, and then you fill in the blank with something that your Holy Spirit's laying in your heart right now, an area which you've not been obeying. Partial obedience is holy disobedience. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. But thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. We see a, a third time that this is repeated where he, he refers to them first as Jacob and second as Israel. Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offerings, neither hast thou off honored me with thy sacrifices. I have not caused thee to serve with an offering nor wearied thee with incense. Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices, but thou hast made me serve with thy sins. 
Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. He starts off this section here, but thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Who, when, who is Isaiah speaking to here? Speaking to current Israel of his time, who wasn't doing what was right. Maybe he was even speaking to the Israel that was going to be so comfortable in Babylon that they weren't sure whether or not they actually wanted to go back to Israel when they were allowed to. Why do I need to go back to Jerusalem? I'm perfectly comfortable here. We've been here for a generation. We're settled here. I put down roots here in Babylon. I don't want to trek across the desert to go back to Jerusalem if it's even there. Never mind that that's where the temple is. Never mind that that's where the priests were supposed to be. Never mind that that's where they were supposed to go and worship and offer their sacrifices. God says, but thou hast not called upon me. Thou hast been weary of me. In the flesh, sometimes we regard serving and obeying God as a weary thing. It's not good for us to think that way. It, can, it saddens me when the kids are, get to be not excited because it's, oh, it's church day. Oh, it's, it's church night. Means I can't play. Means I can't do this. Means I can't do that. Means I got to sit still in church for an hour, you know. Uh, oh, it's church day. And, and it saddens me to hear that. But we as adults have that same mindset. Oh, it's soul winning day. Oh, it's so heavy and troublesome and wearisome. Oh, it's, you know, go to church day, fine, here I go, not happy about it. Like we have to get up and go to work on a Monday morning or something. We regard serving and obeying the Lord as a weary thing. We think we're bad off because we are following His ways. We feel so oppressed and so afflicted. Yeah, but you see the world over there, they get to wear what they want. You see the world over there, they get to go wherever they want. They get to eat and drink whatever they want. You see the world, they get to have all of that fun. They don't have to have everybody telling them, no, you can't do this, and no, you can't do that. They don't have to have the preacher up there pointing his you know, stubby finger in their faces saying, you're a bunch of sinners. Oh, serving God is so wearisome. I'm so oppressed and so afflicted. Sometimes people say, I just need to take a break from it all. And what they really mean is, I need to take a break from the Lord. When we feel like this, it's evidence that we're not in step with Jesus and who Jesus really is. Because what did Jesus say? He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't need rest from God. You don't need rest from serving the Lord. He is the place where you go when you need rest. When you feel the weight of the world and the weight of sin and the weight of iniquity and the weight of temptation weighing so heavily down upon you, where do you turn? Do you go hide away in your bedroom? Pull the covers up over your head? Turn the lights off and wish the world away? Sorry, it doesn't work. Where do you turn then in the midst of that time? Where didn't Israel turn? They didn't turn to God. Not until they were in the midst of some terrible trouble. When you get weary and the burden weighs heavily upon you, turn your eyes upon Jesus as we sang tonight. 
Turn your eyes to him and he will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls. Why? For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you feel burdened and heavy and wearied by going to church and by serving the Lord and by trying to do what's right, then you're not doing it the right way. And you're not doing it for the right person. You're doing it for you. And you're trying to do it in your own power. That's why it's wearisome. That's why it's heavy. That's why it feels like you cannot go on. That's evidence that you're not in step with Christ. If following God always seems like some great weary burden, then you're not really following Him. You're fighting against Him. He says, Thou hast not brought me the small cattle of thy burnt offering. When we begin to get weary about serving God, it shows. It shows in our faithfulness. It shows... <clears throat> in our giving, it shows in our morality or lack thereof. Perhaps the Israelites were insincere in their worship. Maybe they were bringing sacrifices and offerings, but they weren't doing it with the right heart. Look at verse number 24. He says, Thou hast bought me no sweet cane with money, neither hast thou filled me with the fat of thy sacrifices. And look at these last two phrases. But Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Now we've talked about wherever you go, you take the Holy Spirit with you if you're a Christian and you, you put him through the things that you're looking at and listening to and involving yourself in. He's, God is saying, when you come to the temple and you're offering sacrifices, but you're not doing it the right way or with the right heart or the, for the right reasons, or you're just simply doing it out of rote memory because you feel like it's just what you must do, or simply because of religious reasons, he says here in verse 24, Thou hast made me to serve with thy sins. Thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. That's a sad, a sad thought. Isaiah speaks to God's people here who felt burnt out, burdened, and weary. God says, you feel burdened? You feel weary? Try being me. You've burdened me with all of your sins. You've wearied me with all of your iniquities. Look at verse 25. Again, I like this. I, even I, just like we saw earlier, am he... Get, get, a, get a praise the Lord ready here, okay? Because it's coming. You're going to need it. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake and will not remember thy sins. Praise the Lord. Okay, I pulled it out. Y'all can feel free to pull one out too. You know, I told you to, to stow away a praise the Lord there. He says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out. And you take that, that, that bottle of white out and you take that puny little brush out of there, and you stick a big old cotton round down inside there. I know it doesn't fit. Just bear with me here. Imagine it did. And you pull that big old cotton ball out, and you start smearing it all over the paper. And you let it dry, and you smear it again. And you thoroughly cover it up. I've blotted out your sin. For my sake, he says, and will not remember thy sins. Put me in remembrance. 
Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Thy first father, Adam, hath sinned, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Therefore I have profaned the princes of the sanctuary and have given Jacob to the curse and Israel to reproaches. We go back to verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. What is God going to do with such a hard-hearted people? Now let's pause for a second and put ourselves in his place. In fact, let's just put ourselves in one little circumstance. As we look at politicians through the window of the news agencies, and we see them doing ridiculousness, spouting ridiculousness, following whatever seems to be the modern movement of the day, and they'll hang whatever that flag is outside their door to keep whatever the, the loudest groups are of that time happy. You see them get away with their corruption and nobody seems to care. You see them spat and fight and tit for tat and nobody seems to care. And you sit there and you watch all that and you think, man, I just wish somebody would just knock them down a notch. Man, I wish something would happen and they would just be removed from office. Man, I wish we could just shake things up. Sometimes we have a tendency to look at, at even politicians or other folks that we just we think are sinful and we think are terrible and they're deceitful and we just want to see them go down. God forbid that we would look at somebody like that and think that person needs to burn in hell. That person deserves to burn in hell. And that we in our hearts, we may not say the words, but in our hearts, we'd even look forward to that thought of that person that we despise burning in hell. Now, if you're like me, you've gotten angry at some people before. You've seen some people and you just wanted to see them struck down. You are so frustrated with them. What about God? You see, God sees their heart. You only see what the news shows you. you. And then there's the rest of it is you just assuming what must be the truth. What must be their true motives? And then you get all upset and angry at the things that they did or may have supposedly done. And we make snap judgments. They need to be brought down. They need to be judged for that, the thing that they did. God does know what's in their hearts. God does know what they have done. God does know why they have done it. And yet what? While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. What is God going to do with such a hard-hearted people? He's going to forgive them at the very earliest opportunity. He will forget their sins. Despite all the sin, despite their disregard for Him, He loves His people. He longs for communion with them. He longs for humility on their part. He longs for reconciliation. Like a parent with a child who has wronged them, who has angered them, who has frustrated them, the parent still does not desire their death, still does not desire their demise or their destruction, but desires their reconciliation. Any good parent desires to see them walk through that door yet once more. That's what he wants to do with such a hard-hearted people. And he says he is going to, like with the prodigal son, this beautiful illustration of this principle, the, father, the prodigal son, he felt like his father was a burden upon him. 
a burden that needed to be relieved, and so he went his own way. But his father still loved him even when he was gone, even when he had hurt his father. And turns out it wasn't the father that was the burden. It turns out it was the son that was the burden. He was a burden to his father. He was a burden to himself. He was a burden to everybody he came into contact with because he was determined to do it his own way. And I tell you what, life was hard for him when he was determined to do it his own way. Parents, can anybody, can anybody think of children that have determined to do it their own way and have met with hardship after hardship after hardship? But as a parent, you still stand out there on the front porch. You still stand out there on the road, looking down the road, just waiting for their return so that you can welcome them back with open arms. He says, He will not remember thy sins. How can God forget? By choosing to not remember. He has forgotten our sin because it's been fully paid by what Jesus Christ endured on the cross. He says, let us plead together. Declare thou. He says, do you want to justify yourself? Do it. Present your best case. But the fact is, no matter how strong your argument is going to be, it's not going to be enough. He says, go back to the beginning. Your first father hath sinned. We are a, you're a son of Adam, a child of Adam. Adam sinned, and it infected the whole human race, including you. So no, you can't justify yourself. You're a sinner through and through. You're a sinner from birth. Stop trying to justify yourself and humbly look to me for salvation. This is the message that God is giving to Israel through Isaiah. This is the message that is preached to us all throughout scriptures. Stop trying to justify yourselves and look to me for salvation. He said, and thy teachers have transgressed against me. Those who were supposed to be their mediators, those who were supposed to be going between them and God to seek forgiveness of sins, were not doing so the right way. But now we have a sinless mediator. Now we don't have to worry about a priest or a high priest and hope that he has a good connection with God. Now we have a sinless and perfect mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He is a perfect mediator and he does not fail. It says, And have given... Jacob to the curse, he says there, have given Jacob to the curse because of the sinfulness of Jacob, the failure to look at God's solution for sin. There was only a curse for Jacob because we were born in sin. If we choose to reject God's mediator, then there's nothing left for us but curses and reproaches. So Isaiah says to Israel, look to Jehovah God. Look to God. That is where salvation comes from. That is where you're going to find your help. That is where you're going to find deliverance from not just Babylon, but you're going to find deliverance from sin when you look to God. You're going to find deliverance from rebellion when you look to God. And so we have a chapter. There is no other Savior but God. He reminds them, don't fear. Why? Because I have redeemed you. And he closes that chapter with this same idea 
I've given you all these promises, but you haven't done. You have, thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob. Thou hast been weary of me. In verse 24, but thou hast made me to serve with thy sins, and thou hast wearied me with thine iniquities. So remember, we cannot justify ourselves. We need God and His forgiveness to do so. You must look to the Lamb of God, as the hymn says. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, as we sang tonight. Keep God and our Savior Jesus Christ centrally focused. And that's going to help in a whole lot of areas. We've been talking a lot about walking in the Spirit and producing spiritual fruit, and that theme is going to continue on Sunday nights. But we keep Christ as the central focus of all things, where He's supposed to be, in our lives, in our homes, and in our church. And would it be so if Christ could be even the central theme of our county, or our state government, or our national government? That'd be amazing. That'd be wonderful. But we know that things must get worse and worse at some point in time. We know that the book of Revelation will have to come to pass at some point in time. But for now, O Christian, look to the Lord Jesus Christ and look to God. This is the message. In chapter 44, he's going to continue on with the idea of idols, talking about these false gods and how Israel was so foolish in putting their weight upon these false gods and, and relying upon these false gods, because what can they do? Nothing. What has God done? And, and I guess I'll leave you with this thought that I had mentioned earlier as well. There are things to remember and there are things to forget. Remember how God has worked miraculously and providentially in your life in the past and in the lives of others. Hey, hey remember how God has answered amazing prayers. Prayers that were prayed for seven years. Prayers that you thought were never going to see an answer, but you so faithfully prayed. Maybe it's 15 years. Maybe it's 20 years or more. You look and say, wow, God answered that prayer. And it seemed impossible. It seemed unlikely. What other prayers can God answer? In what other ways can God work in somebody's heart? You just never know. Isn't it encouraging? Just like we talked about last Wednesday night to lift up your voice in praise, and to open up about answered prayers. Why? To encourage yourself that God is listening and working, and to encourage you to continue praying for other things, and to encourage others to pray. To pray for those hard things, and to be encouraged in that. And because God likes to hear it. He likes to hear us give Him thanks for the things He has done. Remember those things in the past, but there's things in the past to forget. Forget the failures, the discouragement. Forget the times where you wish you had done more. You wish you'd accomplished more. You're ashamed of what you haven't done. You can sit there and wallow in self-pity and loathing, or you can set that aside and say, I want to know what God can do through you tomorrow if I am living a pure and obedient and a holy life. If I am walking in the Spirit, what can God do tomorrow through this church or through me? And I want to see what it is. I want to be surrendered and willing to see what it is. Some things to remember about the past. And some things to forget about the past. But wholly keep your eyes focused and centered on Jesus Christ.